for your amazing love and your amazing grace. Thank you for your awesomeness, Father, and thank you for your great love for us that draws us in. And as we're going to look into your word today, Father, we see that your kindness and your love drew people in. Thank you that your word is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I would, I would never live in a big city because I hate congested and traffic and red lights are just a waste of time. <laughs> My land, you sit there forever. This right here is the traffic I love to wait for, though. I could wait for that all day long. Wouldn't bother me, but wouldn't drive my blood pressure up a single bit. I could just keep waiting. That's great. Just praise God. Love to see it. Open God's words with me, if you would, to Acts chapter 9. I think when I get back on, in, in the pulpit in three weeks from today, uh, we're going to do a quick review to up to the point where we are in Acts chapter by chapter, just a, just a word or two or just to, to hit the highlights. But right now we're just going to go back to the beginning of chapter 9 and, and with all of our missionaries and guest speakers and church picnic and that this summer, this is only the third, third time I've been in the pulpit since the end of June actually. Um, we've just been blessed with a lot of missionaries this summer and um, didn't have any the first, hardly. We had a couple, but not too many the first three years I was here, and it seems like they're all home this summer, so it's been good to, to get them to, to be here and to share their ministry. But we've looked at, at Acts chapter 9 now for a few, <laughs> the last couple months, but it's only been a couple Sundays. Um, the first couple verses we see Saul without the light. He's still persecuting the church in Jerusalem. He's got letters from the high priest, and he's going to go and kill as many Christians as he can. Those who can't kill, he'll drag back to Jerusalem and put them on trial. Something happens on the way to Damascus. And at one point, Saul was without the light, and then we see Saul under the light. Last week, we looked at, at Saul walking in the light, and, and in verse 20 of chapter 9, it says, And immediately he began to proclaim Jesus. He didn't wait around. He didn't wait until he got an email from God. He knew knew what he was to be about. And he immediately began to share his faith, to preach and to teach the truth. Because as as a Pharisee, as as much as he, as, as a Pharisee, as much as he had been about trying to stamp out Christianity, trying to stamp out 
the, the idea that God, or excuse me, that Jesus was the Christ, that Jesus was the Messiah, that Jesus was the Savior. Because the Pharisees didn't believe that. Because if they believed that, then they became irrelevant. The temple became irrelevant. The law would be irrelevant. But that's exactly what happened when Christ came. The temple and the law became irrelevant because Christ fulfilled both of those. And now, Paul's on the other. He did the 180. He turned around. And now, what he was trying to wipe out, he is propagating, he's preaching, he's sending it forth. Jesus Christ was, while he was here, and still is, but to them then, he said Jesus Christ was the Son of God. He was the Messiah, and we missed the boat as Jews. Jesus Christ was the Son of God. He was the resurrection and the life. He is the way, the truth. And the only way that you or I will ever see the inside of heaven is because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross for us. He immediately began to proclaim. Then he took a hiatus for three years into Arabia. and Scholars believe that's the time, although there's, there's nothing recorded about it in the Scriptures. We had to look to Galatians to see that between verse 22 and 23, there was that three-year pause. Came back to Damascus, and he, he's preaching the word, and they're going to kill him, so he gets let down through a basket. So he runs to Jerusalem to preach the gospel. And his old buddies there who, who gave him the letters to go and persecute Christians in Damascus are now looking to kill him. They, they set up a plot that they're going to kill this man that, because again, if what he's saying is true, then we're irrelevant now, they say. The temple and the, the, the priesthood and the uh, the the. the Authority that we have in the, in the religious courts of the land, we're irrelevant. We don't matter anymore because Jesus Christ fulfilled it all. Jesus Christ is the one that matters, so we got to kill this guy because he's going to get us out of a job. So they take him away, verse uh, 30. The brethren learned of it. They brought him down to Caesarea and sent him away to Tarsus in verse 31, where we concluded last week, the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria enjoyed peace, being built up and going on in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. It continued to increase. Just like Ray and Annette Ronk are finding out in Brazil, when people share their faith and tell their neighbors about Jesus, just as we sang of when justice was served and where mercy wins, of the kindness of Jesus that draws me in. It draws people in when we share with them what Christ has done in our lives and what he can do for them. He said one of the, one of the characteristics earlier in Acts, when, they, when, they, um, when it grew so rapidly, and the one day the 3,000 were added, and, and we say that, that church growth, number-wise, is not necessarily our main goal, and it's not. But if we are teaching and preaching in the power of the Holy Spirit, the church will grow. 
It's just a natural result. If we share that kindness of Jesus, the church should be growing. Because it's about the Holy Spirit. It's about the ministry of Jesus Christ. It's not about you and it's not about me. It's about Jesus. And people cannot resist that when they see that the kindness of his mercy, that he doesn't give us what we deserve. But through his grace, he gives us everything we could ever want or hope for. Again, not because we deserve it, but because of his great love for us. Kind of a funny title for a message, isn't it? Anybody know what EEO is? Equal Employment Opportunity. Yeah, that's right. At one time, I, on, on my notepad, I had as the title of my sermon, God is not a discriminating miracle where he doesn't discriminate. He's open to everybody for his miracles. In chapter 9, verses 32 to 35, there's a, a miracle of an, another paralytic being healed. Verses 36 to 43, we're going to see a, a woman resuscitated. And then in chapter 10 and 11, no, we're not going to get to chapter 10 and 11 today. Hopefully we'll get to the end of chapter 9. We're going to see the miracle of salvation in Cornelius and in many others. But God is trying to use Peter here. In, 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 um, there, there used to be little uh, buttons probably back in the 70s maybe, maybe the 80s. And it had a bunch of letters on it. And if you knew what the letters meant, it said, please, it meant, please be patient with me. God's not finished with me yet. And we've talked about this many times here. When God is done with you, guess what? He's going to take you home. And so if you're sitting here today, he ain't done with you yet. We got work to do. And he's got work to do in Peter's life because Peter it really, really struggles with the idea of taking the gospel to the Gentiles. And why not? For a couple thousand years, the Jewish history has all been about the Jews, that God's plan is for the, for the Israelites. And his kingdom, his earthly kingdom, will one day center in Jerusalem. But Peter struggling with that idea is, is that God is an EEO miracle worker. He doesn't discriminate. In the scripture that Stephen read at the beginning today in James chapter 2, talks about how so often we, in our pride and in our arrogance, will discriminate against others. Be it the color of their skin, be it the accent, the language, what they wear. Maybe they have tattoos or nose rings. Or they wear that funny thing on their head. We tend to discriminate and not realize <laughs> God loves them every bit as much as he loves me. There is no reason for us not to love them other than our pride and our arrogance. And, and God is going to work through Peter here to help him to begin to understand 
that the gospel is to go to Gentiles as well. And, and we won't see the big, the big vision that, that, that he's given until chapter 10, where, where he learns that he needs to go to Cornelius, but God is going to be working through him here. I want to read a, a short clip here. Mahatma Gandhi shares in his autobiography that in his student days in England, he was deeply touched by reading the Gospels and seriously considered becoming a convert to Christianity. Which, <laughs> Guys, sorry, I know the end of the story. Which seemed to offer a real solution to the caste system that divided the people of India. One Sunday, he attended church services and decided to ask the minister for enlightenment on salvation and other doctrines. But when Gandhi entered the sanctuary, the ushers refused to give him a seat and suggested that he go elsewhere to worship with his own people. He left and never came back. If Christians have caste differences also, he said to himself, I might as well remain a Hindu. Sorry. Just doesn't make sense that a Christian church would do that. How often do we do that when we're in town? Jonah and Peter have a lot in common. You ever put Jonah and Peter in the same fish? No, in the same boat? (laughs) Jonah was told to take the gospel to Nineveh. Jonah protested. Those were their enemies. Peter was told to take the gospel to the Gentiles. He protested. Jonah spent three days in the belly of a big fish. God had to knock it into Peter's head three times through a vision that we'll see in chapter 10. But he showed him the vision three times. Don't think you're going to learn everything the first time, folks. At least I don't. (laughs) Should I admit that? What happened in Nineveh when Jonah finally went and preached? The people repented. And oh, did that tick Jonah off. (laughs) It really made Jonah mad. He was angry about it. Then to make matters worse, God gave him some shade and then he took it away. Jonah said, let me die. I've shared with you before, one of my granddaughters likes to say, drama, drama, drama. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Jonah thought it was all about him, didn't he? We'll see in several, several weeks from now, chapters 10 and 11, we'll see the response that, that Peter gets and gives when the people repent, when he does what he was told to do and, and give the gospel.
But I read that story about Mahatma Gandhi. It's like, oh my land, you're kidding me. Who in the world do we think we are? Who do we think we are? Do we have the right to make a judgment? Somebody's soul is God's call to make, not yours, not mine. Who we share Jesus with is not our choice. We are to do it with anybody that God brings into our lives, anybody we encounter. We have a responsibility to share Jesus Christ. Because when we do, okay, again, when justice was served and when mercy wins of the kindness of Jesus that draws them in, we're to do the planting of the seed, we're to do the watering of the seed. But Jesus is the one that's going to make the seed grow. Jesus is the one that's going to give it life. We just need to be obedient and do our part that he tells us that we need to do. Warren Warren Wearsby gave a, a blurb on on these three miracles, and what is the greatest miracle that God can do for us? We're going to see him heal the body, we're going to see him restore life, and we're going to see him give salvation. Warren Wearsby says that because salvation costs the greatest price, it produces the greatest results, and it brings the greatest glory to God. That's why salvation is the greatest miracle. You go to, I don't even remember what store it is now. Maybe it's Mar, Mar, uh, Menards, I'm not sure. But they have, they have three levels of products that you can buy, good, better, and best. Maybe it's Home Depot, I don't know. But it's, it's good, or, or, yeah, good, better, and best. And here we're in, these, in these miracles, we have great, greater, and greatest. And thank goodness for the greatest miracle, the miracle of salvation. Let's look at verses 32 to 35. Now it came about that as Peter was traveling through all those parts, he came down also to the saints who lived at Lydda, and there he found a certain man named Aeneas, who had been bedridden for eight years, for he was paralyzed. Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you Arise and make your bed, and immediately he arose. And all who lived at Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. They saw the miracle. This man who had been paralyzed for eight years, doesn't tell us how he was paralyzed. He's been paralyzed for eight years. Turn back just for a moment with me in Acts here to chapter 3. I better get moving, huh? Acts 3, 6. Peter and John are on their way into the temple, and the man's asking for alms. 
Peter says, I do not possess silver and gold, but what I do, I, what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, walk. And seizing him by the right hand, he raised him up, and immediately his feet and his ankles were strengthened. And the kindness of Jesus draws them in. Right across on the same page, verse 16. Peter is giving an account before the, the Sanhedrin now, and he says, And on the basis of faith in his name, it is the name of Jesus which has strengthened this man whom you see and know, and the faith that has come through him has given him this perfect health in the presence of you all. Chapter 4, verse 10. Peter again, let it be known to all of you and to the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by his name, this man stands here before you in good health. And we see back in chapter 9, verse 34, Peter said to him, Jesus Christ heals you. Peter never tried to take the credit. Peter never said, in the name of Peter, I heal you. It was always, always, always in the name of Jesus. It's because of what Jesus did. It was in the power of the Holy Spirit. And in Jesus' name, that this man was healed. He's been paralyzed for eight years. Arise, make your bed, and immediately he arose. wasn't a process, didn't take a long time. He was healed. 36 to 43, now in Joppa there was a certain disciple named Tabitha. Did we get that, did we get that map slide in? All right, not that you're going to see it too well. I'll go to both screens, but here's Jerusalem. Up here on the coast is Joppa. And uh, about 12 miles from Joppa and 25 miles from Jerusalem is the little city of Lydda, and it's not on the map, all right? You're not going to see it because it's not there. Here's Joppa, here's Jerusalem, and Lydda is, is right in that area there. And then Sharon is, is, the, is the plain right along the, the coast here. It was uh, great for, for uh, agriculture. In Joppa, we're, we're, now we're talking up on the coast there. Now in Joppa, there was a certain disciple named Tabitha, which translated in Greek is called Dorcas, which also means gazelle. Maybe she was a fast runner. I'm not sure. Maybe she was a, maybe she was a fast sower. Maybe her hands just flew over that material because that's what she was good at. This woman was abounding with deeds of kindness and charity, which she continually did. And it came about at that time that she fell sick and died. And when they had washed her body, they laid it in the upper room. And since Lydda was near Joppa, about 12 miles, the disciples, having heard that Peter was there, sent two men to him and entreating him, do not delay to come to us. Now, she's already dead. All right? She, she's dead. And they still want Peter to come. When Peter rose and went to them, and when he had come, they brought him into the upper room, and all the widows stood beside him weeping and showing all the tunics and garments that Dorcas used to make while she was with them. Peter sent them all out of the room and knelt down and prayed, and returning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. 
And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and raised her up, and calling the saints and the widows, he presented her alive. And it came known all over Joppa, and many believed in the Lord because of the kindness of Jesus that drew them in. Verse 43, we'll leave and come back to that at the end. Became known all over Joppa, many believed in the Lord. Now there's some parallels that can be drawn, and there's, there's, there's one main one that I want to point out. But if you look at, I don't know if you remember the story in the Old Testament about Elisha, Raising the Shunammite's woman, or raising her, the Shunammite's woman's son, raising, bringing him back through the power of the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus. Jesus, in his ministry on earth, raised Jairus' daughter from the dead. And here we see Peter being used in this miracle of bringing Dorcas. But back to life. So I don't mess it up. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hang to my notes here for a couple of minutes. Okay, the, the first miracle that, that, that Peter uh, Aeneas was, was healed of his, his paralysis. Same thing with the, the guy that was paralyzed in Capernaum was let down through the roof by his buddies. And Jesus, they, they, Peter uses almost the same words that Jesus spoke, get up and take your mat and go home. And, and there's more to the Greek and, and the, the, the term get up as far as resurrection, but we won't get into that today. Tabitha, along with Elisha, let me slow down here. Peter, with Tabitha and Elisha, with the Shunammite woman's son, asked everybody to leave. It was just too noisy in there. <laughs> Needs some quiet. You had you had the mourners in there, and and in in this case, you had all the in thirty nine. You had all the women wanting to tell Peter about what Dor- Dorcas had sewn for them and this garment that she had made, and didn't she do a great job on this? And Peter says, "Guys, get out! Everybody out!" Same thing with Elisha. And, and if you want to read uh, Elisha, 2 Kings 4. And of course, we're seeing here in Acts 9, Peter and, and Christ in Matt, uh, Mark 5, 21. And Mark 2. Um, Elisha and Peter got down on their knees and prayed. Again, they weren't saying they were going to do it in their own power. They called on God to, to bring this life back into this person. It wasn't their capabilities. It wasn't going to be done through them. But you know what's really cool? This is one of those, I love it. It's not, it's not a great theological thing that anybody's going to write down and remember next week, but it's just really cool. When God raised Jerry, when Jesus raised Jairus' daughter back to life, he didn't pray. You want to know why? Because he was and is the resurrection. He, he didn't need to. So simple, but man, I just, I just love that thought. 
I love the thought that Elisha and Peter got down on their knees to pray, knowing that they were dependent upon the power of God to accomplish this miracle, that it wasn't done in their name. Christ didn't have to get down on his knees because he was and is the resurrection and the life. Verse 35. And all who lived at Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Verse 42. And it became known all over Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. Now, it's, it's funny what the, what the smart guys will argue about in, in my different commentaries and the theologians. Sometimes they argue about the silliest stuff. But there, there was quite a discussion on, on the word all in verse 35. You'll notice in verse 42, it just says, many believed in the Lord. And 35, it says, all who lived at Lydda. And, and they say, well, you know, it probably wasn't really all. It was probably just like most of. And I'm like, okay, wait a minute. Lydda's not even on the map. It's a pretty small town. So maybe all 18 people did come to the Lord. I don't know why they argue over that. It's silly, and I'm not, you know, not going to bounce either side of that fence. But it says, All who lived at Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. When they saw the mercy of God carried out in Jesus' name, they saw the kindness, and it drew them to Jesus. They wanted they wanted to be a part of that. They wanted to see, to, to, to belong. They wanted that to be part of who they were. Now, I told you we'd get back to verse 43. And this is, this is just one of the, again, it's not going to make or break your, your Christian life and your, your walk with the Lord, but it's just one of those things that's kind of fun. Came about that when he stayed many days in Joppa, he stayed with a certain tanner named Simon. What do tanners deal with? This is not a rhetorical question. Go ahead, you can answer me. What do, what do tanners, what's their material? What do they work with? Dead animals. Yeah. Dead animals. So what does that make them in the Jewish culture? Unclean. Constantly, continually, they're unclean. Peter, Peter doesn't want to associate with anything that's unclean. And this is this is where the, the title of the message comes back in that, that Jesus is an EEO miracle worker. Because this is just another step in Peter's development of understanding that the message of the gospel is to go with everyone, anyone. He had to overcome. I mean, prior to this, I don't know if Peter would have ever chose to stick with the tanner. But that's who the Lord directed him to stay with. And just to help him to understand and realize that even those that were unclean needed Jesus. 
you want to dig deeper this week, look, look up Philippians 3, 10 through 14. Not that I have obtained, but I continue to press on for the mark of the prize of the calling. Peter is acknowledging that he hasn't arrived. He's still learning. He's still growing. He's still learning to let the word of God and, and its, its true principles and concepts take and mold and change his life. He's letting God's word accomplish what God wants it to in his life. In closing, just a, a thought. Again, it's not going to destroy your walk or create a, a better walk, but just think. In all of recorded history before Christ, there was no place that cared for the mentally ill or the developmentally disabled. There was no hospital for lepers to go to to get care. There was no orphanages. In record, all of recorded history, not, not just Jewish history, but any world history, it's never recorded that before Christ was here on earth and carried out his ministry, and then immediately after he departed that the apostles are taking over and doing these miracles. It's never recorded in known history that there were people that cared. What, what, what was done with, with kids who, that were orphans, with lepers? They were cast out. They were made to move, be away from the city. They were not loved. They were not welcomed. They're, they're shunned. We don't want anything to do with you. Get out of here. You didn't want to look at the needs. And it's only after Jesus ministers on earth. And then there's the example of the American Red Cross. The Red Cross. Hello? It had its foundings in a more spiritual place than it is today, that's for sure. What is Christ doing in your heart towards your neighbors, towards the unlovely, towards the unclean, towards those that in our arrogance we'd say, no, you, don't. you, you sit back there in the corner. Oh, you, you, you come down here, have the seat right here. How often do we do that in our hearts towards people? Well, they don't look like me. They walk funny. They got a limp. Must be something wrong with them. They're not as pretty as I am. Well, I really shouldn't use that example. But Let's pray. Father, thank you for using Peter to accomplish your will and to carry it out. And through his ministry, because he was obedient to you, he, he took it to those that he had at one point thought it, it shouldn't, your message and word shouldn't go to. He took it there. And then the power of Jesus was used to display the love of God. 
Father, help us not this day to be discriminatory, to think that we're better than anybody else or that they don't need the gospel because I'm not going over there. Father, break down those walls in our heart. That we not might not make excuses as to why we can't share Jesus. What? Yeah, God, we do. Oh, it's not convenient. It's not the right time. I'm in a hurry. I got to get here. Father, break down the walls. Help us to reach those that most of mankind would think are unlovely, but Father, you think are very lovely. Thank you for what you are doing in the church in Brazil with through and with Ray and Annette Ronk. Thank you that they are willingly serving you and being obedient. They're not being shy about sharing Jesus. And Father, you are blessing the church there. Father, help us to go this week to to share kindness. Help us to come back more in love with you next week. And more in love with our neighbor. And more concerned about our neighbor. Father, work that in our hearts this week, please. Watch over and care for us. And we thank you for your word and your love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Don't forget the sign-up sheet over here, guys.